Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. My name is Chris Dornbos. I'm the CEO of E3 Metals Corp. E3 Metals is a diversified lithium company here in Alberta. We've developed a direct lithium extraction technology that allows us to quickly and efficiently remove lithium from brines that we have here in Alberta. A key differentiator for E3 is that we have both the DLE technology that we have developed in-house, as well as a very expansive aquifer with 7 million tons of lithium carbonate equivalent in the ground today. Chris, good to see you. Uh, it's been a while since February. But every yeah. time you, you see what happens, Thanks every time you me. come on, something dramatic is happening in the marketplace. So we, we saw that huge rise in equities uh, just shortly before we spoke. And I think this time around seems to be a, a slew of M&A activity. What do you make of the market at the moment? It's It's been very interesting to see this fall um, a lot of fundraising, a lot of consolidation in the lithium space for lithium producers. Um, some big names uh, in the in the recent past, uh, Neo and Millennial, probably the two bigger ones that have seen um, uh, purchases, uh, at least offers and and signed definitive agreements um, to purchase their projects. So and and for you know good healthy premiums, I think Neo Lithium was a thirty six percent premium over market uh, when the offer came through. So I, I think it's it makes sense uh, when you look at the supply demand of the market right now. Um, there is uh, a significant gap already forming, and a lot of that um, sort of prediction that people were talking about in the late, you know, um, 2010, so 2018, 2019, um, where a big supply-demand gap is going to form. I think you now that has now solidified in terms of the demand. So now supply in terms of projects coming on stream. Uh, obviously is not going to keep up quite as quick as the demand. And that is now actually being seen. So it makes sense that this is happening and the timing makes sense as well. Yeah, I think, I think it's really good for the market because we get a sense uh, and understanding of what sort of premiums are people are prepared to pay, um, which allows us to kind of judge, you know, the, the, do some better peer analysis. Let me put it that way. So I'm liking it from that perspective. Obviously, we had, um, I think we, I think we saw, who was it, Bacanoro. That that seems to have fallen over, but may resurface and if a better offer comes along, I suspect. But can I just ask you about it? The Chinese are the ones buying. They mm -hmm. are yet again taking the lead. We've talked in the past about the fact that Europeans and the US are going to need to, you know, speed things up a bit in terms of their process. Do you think that those the, the the governments in either Europe or America are going to help, or is private or public enterprise going to need to really start to um, get motoring on this? I think that the governments are going to get behind it a bit more. I mean, um, the Chinese is a big machine in terms of its economy as well as the, the lithium industry, the battery industry. Um, it's been around for, for longer than it has in Europe and North America. Um, it's, it's a bigger market. Um, it still holds the a large percentage of the production of uh, the products uh, across the board, as well as you know, the raw materials are across the board, as well as the batteries and the cars. But that, it, that dynamic is shifting. And you know, we were in Europe um, at a couple of conferences yeah, this these past couple of weeks, and Europe is picking up speed in terms of the EV market, uh, therefore the batteries, um, and they are looking for materials right now. Um, and so I think, and and North America will 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 follow suit. I think sure behind. I think you're going to see the North American adoption 
slow to start and then pick up pace a lot faster because by the time North Americans get into the market, um, the technology concerns on the battery side, the range anxiety, those issues are going to be well solved. And I think the adoption is going to be much quicker in North America. And But you are seeing this concern. I mean, a lot of the conversation was about local European supply when I was in Europe. North American uh, you know, supply is always very important. The US and Canada signed a, um, a task force to keep supply local. You can't export lithium in the United States outside the US. So they are already concerned about it. Um, but, you know, right now, I think the Chinese are the first movers and they have first mover advantage. Well, they also have a lot of cash. That, that's, I think that's the and problem they, is that yeah, the, the yeah. West is struggling to work out, you know, w- what they can do about it in terms of uh, stopping it. it. The Americans going for a protectionism route is, is, is one option. The Europeans yeah. calling out for locally sourced material. That's easier said than done. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so I, I'd love to see how those, those stories evolve. But just coming back to your LME comment, uh, which is, you yeah. know, you had you're over there talking about obviously your project, but in the context of of what? what 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 what's the so what for them? Is it a case of the environmental component uh, here? Is it the ESG, or is is it proper? You know, because the Chinese are getting on with it. Is just how how and where do we source the material from in terms of our supply chain? Yeah, I think to your point about money, um, a lot of people now understand that um, cash needs to flow into the the base bottom end of this market, which is RN, the raw material side, to keep supply up, especially on the lithium front, because the it's not like nickel. Nickel has a very mature, very big market, and the EV portion of the nickel supply will be still fairly small relative to the world's consumption. Whereas lithium, it's the exact other end of the spectrum. 90 plus percent of the lithium in the future will be going into batteries. So it's a very mono market and it requires a high purity. But the the conversation around OEMs, they what from what I understand, and, and I'm not uh, sitting on the procurement side of an OEM by any stretch, but from what I understand, Um, this is not something that they normally do. If they wanted aluminum for an engine, they wouldn't go to the aluminum mine to secure that. They would just buy the aluminum off the market. Um, They're going to the battery companies to say, hey, we want batteries. And the company said, we can build you a facility, but we don't have anything to put in it. And so the OEMs are doing something for the first time. But I think that that's going to become more and more commonplace. They're going to get their heads around how this needs to, to work what the security issues around supply are. And I think you're going to start to see cash flowing, and not just from them, but from the, the industry at, at large coming into it. Um, but your point about environmental, that is number one question I get asked when we talk to companies about our product. What is the ESG? What is your carbon footprint? And I think being able to demonstrate that in a clear and, and you know, transparent way is going to be incredibly important for all producers of products going into the battery market um, is to outline what your CO2 footprint is on a per ton lithium. What is your fresh water? What is your impact surface? What What are the key criteria? And every project is different. Every project has its own ESG um, sustainable uh, criteria because it's in a different location. It has different parameters, has different social side, different people, um, with different concerns. Um, so transparency, therefore, becomes really important. You really have to define how your project fits the, the sort of ESG mandate. And we plan to do that 
um, in line with our pre-feasibility study. So we'll put out that with the economics and the project design and all of the important things there, book that reserve. And beside that, we'll send an independent review of that, outlining what the impacts are. Because there's no mining project in this world that has no impact or no carbon. Uh, every project has some impact, has some carbon. And so it, you need to be able to outline what that actually is. I think I totally agree with that. I'm glad you said that because it's a very honest response to it. You know, and we'll we'll talk about your project in a second in terms of it's it's more likely to be able to achieve those things. But OEMs are talking a good game about being you know carbon neutral and you know zero carbon and all of those wonderful things that they want for their marketing team to be able to sell these these products at you know at a bare minimum. You know that's what they that's what they're going to need. The governments, though, are going to have to deal with an oncoming situation where the materials aren't always going to be green. It's not going to be possible. So mm. two things happen. Either guys like you get to charge a premium for your product, or there's some, you know, some, you know, maybe the beneficiary of carbon credits, or there's going to be carbon taxes. And that's a big topic here in, in, in Europe. Uh, and it's not something that's actually, you know, been agreed on yet, but we know it's coming and it's going to be quite painful for those who, who can't deliver against that. But, you know, that, 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 that's maybe a big conversation for the, for the future about what some assets and some companies are going to have to factor into their cost base. Um, and it's, it's very real here in Canada. Is we it? have a carbon tax. Yep. Ah, well, tell me more. So what's that look like? So, so we will, we will be charged based on the the carbon emissions that the project puts out, and there way to there's ways to offset that, of course, and and um, but fundamental to E three, you know, is reducing our carbon emissions, and it's probably hard to go zero carbon. I think probably impossible, but net zero or carbon neutral are very very tangible things that can be achieved with some planning and some foresight. And I think for for our project. There's a couple of pieces that will come into play. One is that, you know, behind me in these pictures, but also on our website, you can see a wind farm. There is a, a large amount of electricity generated in the province through wind. It doesn't provide, it provides zero carbon power, but it doesn't provide a base load. So for us to, to generate a base load will likely be natural gas here in Alberta. But the Alberta government recently announced a, a carbon sequestration hub that they plan to build in South Central Alberta, which is right where our project site is, which will give us a disposal location for CO2 generated from this project. And it's we can't capture, at today at least, 100%. It's in the high 90s, but you can't get 100% capture. Uh, but we plan to put carbon capture on the back of our gas plant. And then we have a, we'll have, hopefully, through this hub, a location to dispose of that CO2. We could also potentially put it into our brine so we can actually sequester our own carbon. But the hub makes more sense because it would be certified by the government, by the companies as a carbon sink um, and therefore you're able to use it. So that's for us, that's an important piece of how E3 plans in a real way to go, you know, reduce our carbon footprint to something that would be very minimal. Okay. So what does that do for a company like you? Because talk about net zero carbon. I want to go, you know, net zero margin across the thing. There's a bit more capex, a bit more expenditure up front. But you can cap, you can regain uh, those margins further down the line. Is, I mean, how how does it work for you? I, I think that we we want to do it because there's a couple, you know, there's a couple uh, things pushing us forward on this. One is the carbon tax. Uh, the other is just our desire to to we have the opportunity. We're not a mine that has um, trucks and shovels running on diesel, and you know they are trying to electrify the 
these mining fleets and there's a great graphite company here in Canada trying to do that. And I, and I, and I really think they will achieve that, but it's, it's a lot harder of an ask when you have that sort of decentralized mining equipment and you have to electrify it and then you have to find green power. Um, for us, we have a very centralized power. Um, and 90 some percent of our energy is going to be electricity, which means we have the opportunity to actually do this. So we feel like it's, it's something that's proven for us. Um, but looking at it from the perspective of cost, it will cost us a bit more to go carbon reduced or carbon neutral. Um, and that will likely mean that we will have to charge a bit of a premium for the product. Um, and I think that if the, you know, if, if the automobile manufacturers or the battery companies are going to demand a zero carbon product, they also have to understand that it's not, that doesn't come at no cost. It comes at an additional cost. So it's not, it's not a, a price gouge situation. It's simply just, you want a, a product that is going to cost a bit more to produce because it has no carbon or low carbon, you know, we're going to have to pay a bit more. And I think, again, this market is extremely immature, right? The, the battery market really has been around for 10 years and, and in, in a real like meaningful way the past five years. So it's still pretty immature in terms of how lithium gets sold on the market, how lithium gets judged, how it's the standards, you know, are, are analyzed. And there's companies out there like Fast Markets and even the LME, they're trying to create the standard for lithium. And, and one of those, I'm sure, will be a CO2 standard. And you will certify that you have an X CO2 impact per ton of lithium as per some standard. And then the OEMs will be able to look at you relative to other. It, it, other it, it sounds like it's going yeah, it, to be potentially quite complicated because you, you you want a premium because you spend a bunch more money at their behest, OEM's behest. We want, we want you know, net zero carbon. So you go spend the capex on that. And would they, before you do raise the money for that, are you sure that they're going to pay a premium? Or... Is the government going to capture the, the the ups and downs here by doing you know carbon taxes or issuing carbon credits uh, along the way? How, how do you how do you assure your margins don't get eaten away? Because if you if you look at like if I look at something as simple as you know um, uh, food farming, right? You've got demands being made uh, by the buyers. The farmers bear the cost. They don't get to recoup that. They, you know, and they, mm -hmm. in fact, the buyers do a blended approach of, yeah, we get some of these guys to produce this, you know, in your case, you know, uh, net zero carbon. Uh, we'll blend it with some of the ordinary stuff, but we'll market it as net zero carbon, right? So, yeah. you know, people will play games along the way, but you've got to try and protect mm -hmm. the interest of your shareholders and, and your company. So, you know, have you had conversations, have you got any sort of ideas or, uh, or degree of certainty as to how this thing plays out from whether it be the Canadian government or any of the markets that you're selling into? Yeah, I think like on the the validity of what we're doing relative to others who might say they're doing it and not, it that is going to be a problem. The way that we will do it is just pure transparency, independent transparency. That's the only way to, to verify it. So we'll have somebody else telling the people who might be buying our product that they have gone through someone who's reputable, who's completely independent, gone through our process, added it all up and said, here it is. Here's the actual CO2 or, or here's the actual impact on a land base, whatever that metric ends up being. So that's how we plan to do it. I don't know how other, other companies uh, will plan to demonstrate that. In terms of security of a product, most of the lithium today, and this may change, like again, the, the it's very immature, the market for lithium. 
Um, so it, it may, it's going to evolve. How lithium gets bought and sold is going to evolve over time. Right now, it's mostly direct sale contracts. So offtake style. So you would have that security of supply because you would offer to uh, uh, an OEM or, or battery manufacturer, whoever you're talking to, that same suite of information. Here's the product quality, which is number one. Here's the ESG, number two. Review this. And you, then you negotiate a price based on what they can get somewhere else versus the metrics that they have and you, and you agree to a price. Um, <clears throat> that gives you the security of, of going forward with whatever implementation of both process and also on the production side, product quality that you need to put into place, but also the, the ESG footprint. Um, I, on your comment about the government, I do think that um, there is potential in Canada to secure government funding uh, for reducing carbon. It is a big mandate for the current government. Um, and I think that they will support initiatives. Now there's no guarantee that government grant funding um, becomes available to any company, uh, but there are funds in Canada that support uh, this type of, of development. You know, here's what our carbon footprint is. Here's what it could be if we put this into place. Um, and we need your support to go that direction. Uh, and we're not talking investigation. We're also talking um, construction capital. So big dollars, tens of millions. So, yeah. Well, because okay, okay, you, you come on to an interesting point here, which is, you know, your, your PA suggests a, a significant capex and certainly in relation to your, your current market cap. You know, it's a buyer's market now for companies like you. Once you've got everything built, it, I guess it eventually becomes a seller's market. One, because of scarcity of, pro of product, but two, you've got no big capital outlays. Um, so in the conversations that you may have had at, during LME, or certainly access to some of these OEMs at, at, at the conferences like the LME, are they giving indications about how long they're looking to um, secure supply for? Are you getting... Are they, are they talking two-year, three-year, five-year, 10-year contracts? Because we know from our nickel conversations, our cobalt conversations, copper conversations, that the inbounds are significant from OEMs, trying to work out where it's coming from. So what's your experience? Um, I haven't seen timeframes nailed down. And we're a bit, we're probably about a year um, out from like a, 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 not necessarily a relationship, but a, a signed, dotted, real offtake agreement. And there is a difference. Companies have said that they have offtake, um, but they're not locked in contracts. They're, they're usually contracts that the uh, purchaser can get out of quite easily. And that's not, a, in my mind, that's not a true contract. And we might work with other companies and, and have that similar style of contract where you, it's sort of an agreement to agree um, is what you, you're seeing in the market today from companies that are about in our space. And I think E3 could, you could see us sign something like that in the near future. Uh, but in terms of like an actual locked in X amount of time, here's the price, you know, all of those metrics deliver by this date, uh, which is the big key metric that's missing right now is, you know, you, you start to commit to timing of your product being available and then you, you get penalized for missing those targets, right? So that's a real offtake contract. And I think, you know, we'll see those in, in the next year or two. Um, not to say that we won't be working with companies in the shorter term. Um, I think, you know, E3, though, we offer something that is unique. Um, and when you look at mining operations, conventional mining, 
which is ma- mainly out of Australia. There's some some stuff coming in in Eastern Canada, and Quebec, and Ontario. Uh, and then you look at Solars and you look at their ESG impact. E3 does stand out significantly in terms of the metrics that you get judged by on these things. We also offer a high purity product um, at a lot lower price. And so I think that the two of those, at least are an operating cost price, which means that we'll have a robust project that will have the the economics to to withstand 20, 40 price fluctuations when the market isn't screaming for lithium like it is today. We'll still be have a heavy margin that we'll be able to produce lithium based on what we're seeing in terms of price predictions into the into that longer time frame and of course no one really has that crystal ball but um we we just we do we have we have a project in a great jurisdiction which you can't change the location of your project so one fundamental thing you can't change we're here in alberta canada as the natural resource company or sorry country and for e3 as a company we we are planning to leverage our production of lithium to bring a battery industry here to the province. And we're in discussions with the province about that because it's something that, you know, oil is not going anywhere. And, and um, Alberta is an oil province. We've produced oil for a long time here. You know, our project looks like an oil and gas project, except we produce lithium and we can get into the operational factors of, of what that actually means for E3. Um, but we permit like an oil and gas project um, at least in terms of uh, most likely being with the, regu- the same regulatory body. Um, and we have a lot of the same skill sets required to build this project in, in a province that has that all available to it. Um, so from that perspective, you know, Alberta is a great place to, be, to have a lithium project. You add in the, the product quality, you add in the ESG and all those other layers. Um, we really do. We have this amazing opportunity. I think we will not have a problem finding purchasers of our product in the future. I, I get, no, I get it. I get it. Look, um, the, the, you also your point earlier about grants available and the scale of the grants available as well is noted. Um, and I like the fact that you pointed out that an agreement is not always an agreement. Please look at the detail. Investors tend to get carried away with headlines and mm-hmm. they need to look at the detail of what it actually means and what the what the opt-outs, what the options are, what the actual true cost of these things is. Um, but like you say, you're, 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 far, you're, you're not there yet. Last time out, we talked about you um, creating a, pr- a prototype. I get a tank. You described it as a tank. I'm sure it's a little bit more complicated mm-hmm. than that. And work out by the time it reaches the bottom, how much lithium have you extracted? So that prototype is operational. When do we actually get to see the results of that? And when do we move on to pilot? Yeah, so just a couple of weeks ago, we announced that that, that thing was being built. Uh, it is now built. It is running. Uh, next week, it sounds like the team is going to be ready to start the first extraction test on that prototype. So it's going to take, you know, six, eight weeks for us to get the test run and then the results accumulated and and then the the details out to the market, but it's not long now. We've got, uh, and that's the first run, right? But the thing is going to run for the next two to three months on testing various different parameters um, to give us the, it's really designed to give us the design criteria, the, the, the data we need to build the pilot, right? What are the flow rates we're going to have? What are the timeframes, how big the column is going to be in the pilot, all of those parameters get developed through the, this prototype. And it's going to go through multiple t- series of testing to understand that. Um, but the fact that the machine is is in our facility here in Calgary and running uh, is a massive step forward for the company. Um, and it's a it's not commercial size at this point, but it is 
at least a scaled down commercial process. The, the column in the, the, the prototype that will run will look similar in operational parameters to a commercial, um, at least is one of the options that we have in front of us. And we've got three, we've talked about that in the market as well. So Right, so that, that, that's the difference. So, the, the, so the, the prototype is just a small scaled down version of what the pilot is gonna be, because the way you described something yeah. fast is, look, scale is gonna be achieved by just replicating these tanks. We're just gonna, exactly. we'll take one tank, if that works, then that gives us the data and yeah. we work out where they build 10, 100, 200 of these tanks. And that gives us a number to scale to, depending on what contracts, I guess, you get funded through to. So um, yeah. the, the, the pilot is gonna, is the timing of that would be what in relation to what you find out from the prototype? Every the Q1 next year, we, we should be announcing if everything goes well and um, and not just that, but also, um, you know, we're looking at trying to speed up this by finding a, a pilot that's out there already. Because um, the, the technology around this isn't um, that exotic. It's ion exchange processing, which is solid liquid separation. So there is companies out there that build this type of equipment uh, on a regular basis really? for customers. I thought I thought, I thought, I thought there was some magic to DLE because people talked about the well, mystery the magic of DLE, to DLE right? isn't, isn't the tank. The magic to DLE is the bead, right? So as long as, and it's a, it's a little piece of solid. So as long as you have a... Um, a, a machine, because you think of it this way: you have a you have a solid little bead, and you have your brine. And the the once the brine interacts with the the bead, the lithium sticks to it. And then you have to eventually get all the lithium out of the brine, and then you have to get the lithium off the bead again. That's the, the backwash that we do. That's how we concentrate because we use a lot less volume of fluid to get the lithium off. Then we did the brine, so we have all that lithium in a smaller volume, so we get a concentrated solution with mostly just lithium in it. And so what the machine does is it, it is the control of the interaction of putting the water and bead together and then separating it again, putting the wash together, separating again, and then putting the brine back with the, with the bead and separating it. And so there's lots of ways uh, to do that um, that are pretty common. We are looking at a, we have a, a flow column that we've been testing, um, but there are other methods. Um, there are fluidized beds. There's all these other processes that you can use depending on a bunch of factors. And those factors are what we're determining right now. And so for us, it's this, this is why this is so important for the company, because once we have all this data, we can go out to, the, to vendors. We can work with them to help us design a, a, a pilot. They might have one already running. They, we might have to build one. Um, it, we'll do whatever is most optimized to get the results for E3. So that's and that will be announced likely in the new year. Q1 sometime we'll be talking about that movement for E3. The, as you mentioned, the pilot will be slightly smaller, but but very close to a commercial size process. So that once the pilot runs, it will give us a lot of security in terms of our risk for going to commercial. So then the commercial column, the commercial process, whatever that will look like will be a slightly bigger version, but not drastically bigger. We will build multiple of them and they will all run side by side producing. So, and if we want to increase the production, we add more of these units. So if we want to bring more brine from the aquifer up to the facility, we just add a couple more of these units and then we produce more of it. Right. Okay. So um, again, dealing with some questions that have been sent in, clearly you're not making revenue. Uh, you're not producing enough to sell into the open market. Um, the, 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 um, 
the the financing cost here is is a big question that's asked multiple times, which is from your PEA. It's a bit early. You may, you're going through the process of um, you know doing the PFS at the moment. In as you've described, there's going to be a kind of base cost, and then there's an incremental bolt-on cost depending on how many of these commercial sized tanks that you decide to build. Is is that going to be a factor of what contracts you can sign or agreements that you can get in place? So you know, because you gotta you gotta know where you're selling this and what sort of price you can sell it for before you say I'm building 10, 100, whatever of, of these things, yeah. right? So can you remind us of the PEA numbers around the the the, the build cost? Sure. So the PEA outlined a six hundred million dollar uh capital project to do twenty thousand tons a year. Um, and that's including the contingency. So that's about 30,000 US dollars per ton capacity built, which is about the average in the industry today. So it's not extremely expensive. It's about on par with the industry for, for lithium production. What that means though for us is, and it breaks into three pieces. So we have the brine production piece, which is the wells and the pipeline. This is what we do every day in Alberta. That's about a third, the pretreatment and brine and lithium extraction is about a third, and then the lithium production, making the hydroxide, is a, is the other third, and uh, they can be scaled. So, for example, we could start at five thousand tons a year, get it running. It would cost us not quite one quarter, but pretty close to one quarter, just because everything is modular. So, if you want to double your production, you double the wells. If you want to double your lithium extraction, you double the units, right? Even the electrolysis runs that same similar sort of way. So you have the opportunity, therefore, to um, scale up or down. So you could start smaller if you feel like you want to, you know, do something like skip demonstration and use a 5,000 ton commercial plant as your demonstration, you could do that. Or if you feel very confident about, because we're going to have phase one of the pilot, which is the DLE, and then phase two will be the hydroxide. That's our current plan right now. That you know, gives us the confidence to go, that may, we may be able to secure, you know, 30,000 tons of offtake to your point. And then that would be the capacity that we would build initially. So it, it really does come down to project finance. You're right, absolutely at the end. And that's post pre-feasibility study. Those conversations uh, become very um, top of sort of our priority list, along with permitting and our detailed engineering design. Those are the three activities that will keep us busy post RPFS. Great. So modularity is your friend as far as the financing is concerned, because you can adapt that according to market conditions, contractual uh, agreements, um, and, a, and a better sense, I guess, of what the supply demand gap looks like then and what people are prepared to pay. Uh, okay, yeah. totally understood. Um, just just a couple more, if, if, if you don't mind, um, with regards to... Uh, what you were up to. So I see some insider buying, which is good yeah. to be positive. Yeah. I mean, we, be, we believe in this. Yeah. We believe in this hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and, and, so and we also believe that, that the current price is a significant discount to where we will be, especially based on our, our peers. Just look at, um, and I keep, I keep saying, look at standard lithium, um, but they just keep going up. Um, and for good reasons, they're doing a great job and, what E3 sees is we're just we're just a little bit behind them in terms of time. Um, they've done some good moves. They've got a pilot running. Ours will be running hopefully before the end of next year. And, you know, they've moved significantly since that pilot has run as well. So they sort of climbed the ladder getting to pilot. And then they've been climbing since they went to the U.S. and listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And, and that's something that E3 is considering. We're right now we're, we've uplisted to the 
to the QX, so sort of step one. Um, and so I, I think that there's a large runway for E3 to grow this the value of this company, especially considering that this, the lithium market is only going to get stronger uh, in the next coming years. Okay. I'm sure there'll be some bumps along the way, but um, with, with yeah, regards course, to what happens, always, and, 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 always are, right? But with regards to what you guys have got to deliver in the next six months, you kind of laid out between now and Christmas, and I guess pilot plant slash small commercial uh, demonstration plant um, for end of Q1. What's your expectation of, uh, so just again, remind me the timing before you can actually deliver the PFS? So Q1, we should be working on the construction and then operation of the pilot. The timing of the actual turnkey of the pilot um, is going to be outlined once we get to that point. It's a bit too early to say exactly when we'll be able to turn it on because it depends on are we building it ourselves or can we find one that we can rent or that's already constructed that we buy. So and obviously, if we can find one, that is the preference as long as it works for what we need uh, because it drastically reduces the time frame to, to pilot. Um, but if we can't, we will build ourselves and that just extends the time before we can pilot. The pre-feasibility study we are working on today that will ramp up in the new year, because once we have the design basis of the pilot and it's being built, we'll be able to look at the engineering of that same design for the commercial. So the pre-fees will be being worked on in parallel. Um, we're, we're also working through the, the different uh, nuances of making lithium hydroxide. So we, we're basically going to vendors that make hydroxide production equipment and testing a bunch of their commercial methods. So we, again, not going to reinvent the wheel on that. We're going to use conventional, um, sort of proven, commercially available equipment to make a lithium hydroxide product. We, we outlined an electrolysis method in the PA. That is our, our, our preference at this point because of the um, simplification in the flow sheet, because we end up recycling um, uh, a stream back through the process, which makes our reagent cost a lot lower um, and uh, creates a much more streamlined process flow sheet. So that's the, the, at the forefront, but there's always the conventional method, um, which is a reagent based that, um, that most existing lithium production uses. Okay. Produce a product so do you, okay. So keep it simple for, for, for folks at home. So do, how do you think you're going to be able to time this market? When when's the when's the entry point for you? The ideal entry point for you as a lithium producer, hydroxide or or, or otherwise, I guess you've got options. Is is what year? Are we 24, 25, 26? What, what are we looking like? We're we're aiming for first lithium somewhere between 2025 and 2027. And the only reason that there's a range there is that we the next year is absolutely critical for the time frame. If a couple of things happen, like we can rent a pilot or buy one off the shelf, um, that may take eight, nine months off of the time frame. Okay, right? so you're, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of, yeah. I just want, just want to say, because I'm just conscious of, of your time, um, is that you've got what, 13, 15 million bucks in the bank. You're yeah. kind of good for the next six months or so to kind of get get these, um, the, 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 the pilot up and moving and you know you can start looking at how yeah. you approach the PFS and give us a sense of timing and uh, of all of this but um you I don't have you seen and this kind of me harking back to the conversation a little bit earlier around the M&A which is you saw yeah. what uh happened at Lilac and Lilac says you know similar ish technology 
to you. And we, 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 I think we talked about this last time in our interview. I'll put a link below to the last interview in February. Uh, some good stuff in there. Um, 150 million bucks ish from some pretty big names. So people are getting a little bit excited about a similar yeah. technology. Mm-hmm. Have you had any similar conversations? I, I'm not. I'm not at liberty to say, unfortunately. But um, I think Lilac's an interesting case. They're a private company, um, and they have a technology that's somewhat similar uh, in terms of how it works. They're just a technology provider. They don't make lithium. Um, they actually joint ventured into another company that is uh, that they are using their technology. So they're trying to get into that space a little bit. Um, and yeah, there were some big names that invested in Lilac in, and their and just their technology. Um, we have the technology, we have the resource. You know, the conversations for us again, timing is everything. You, you don't necessarily jump out and sign an agreement too early because you don't want to leave too much on the you leave too much on the table if you sign something too early. So um, we've been very. Um, Especially in the past year, we've been able to raise capital on the on the public markets because we're public, um, and that money comes with no strings attached. And when you sign a strategic agreement with some company, which is something that E three will do in my mind at some point, um, it makes a lot of sense to work with the strategic company, especially when you're trying to build a six hundred million dollar project. For E three, I think that there will become a point in time where we will bring on and work with the strategic of some fashion. Uh, but we're able to access capital in the markets, which is no strings attached, which allows us to move as quickly as we possibly can, very nimbly, without having um, you know, the direction change for what E3 believes we need to do, which is get lithium out the door as early as 2025. So you know, we're pushing really hard for that date for you know, 20,000 tons sort of paradigm of, of quantity. Um, and, and that really hinges right now on us getting this technology out. And I think that's a real, you know, uh, value creation exercise for the company over the next little while, we're going to demonstrate something that we've been working on for four and a half years. And it is going to be a bit of a pinnacle for E3, um, getting that done, getting the pilot done. And everyone we talk to says the same thing. We want to see your pilot going and we agree. We want to see the pilot going. So all guns blazing on that right now. Okay. Is it taking a little bit longer than you'd hoped this year? Um, I think that, yeah, we, the decision that we made in February after we finished the capital raises was to move the facility into Calgary and, and staff it with our own people. And that was a, a new thing that E3 has done because we've been working with contractors that were very good at developing this and, and we had great relationships with them, um, but it was time. And of course, when you do that sort of thing, you have to upskill uh, your own staff that take that takes time we've gone from five people uh plus contractors full five full-time plus contractors to now 15 full-time people um you know so we have to we had to find them we had to bring them up to speed we had to get them trained so but now that group of people uh we've got some incredible people working at this company and they are all now in that you know feet under them phase they've got their you know they understand what what they need to be doing and they're now you know, in the in the project management sense, performing, they're all working in a streamlined way to, to deliver on this. So, the pace at which the company has been moving has has drastically increased over the past six eight months. Uh, but it did take a bit of time. You know, February, March, April, May to sort of get everyone's feet under them and and get everyone in the door. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would say that I would love to have been piloting already. Um, and if we had access to capital in 2018, like we do now, we probably would be. 
So the only thing that's really held us back is, is we probably, if, if capital wasn't a concern, we would have built this facility in probably 2019. So probably two years earlier. Um, but the market, as everyone knows, went through a big bear turn in early 2018, and it was there for almost three years. Uh, but that is definitively changed now. Access to capital is not an issue. So the speed that we can move is, has drastically changed as well, along with that. Okay. Um, well, I appreciate the update, uh, Chris. Nice to see things starting to move now and some you know, immediate deliveries. So look, stay in touch. Talk to us more regularly because it looks like um, there's going to be a few things to talk about coming up. Appreciate yeah, your time. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you as well. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.